Bay on Ag News Daily. One of the things that, that we think is, is beneficial is getting into the schools, and we work with the Iowa Farm Bureau and Iowa Ag Literacy Foundation. Yay, fun edition. Friday, January 20th, Tanner and Delaney still not in the same state together yet, but that will happen soon. Ready to bring some great headlines and uh, a great conversation today. Okay, Tanner. Well, I'm excited. Do you have some Friday headlines for us today? Oof, I don't know about a lot of excitement. I can start off with an update, obviously, with the uh, national debt dilemma. Janet Yellen, uh, as we had reported on earlier this week, did make the Treasury of halting investments of the two federal retirement funds, both the Civil Service Retirement and Disability Fund, as well as the Postal Service Retiree Health Benefits Fund. As predicted, since the lawmakers made no movement on Thursday, so this comes as the exact measures in which Janet had stated earlier in her pre- previous press release said the result that her department is continuing to take extraordinary measures to make sure the United States government has all of its resources available to not default on their debt. But she says here, as stated in my January 13th letter to Congress, this is an extraordinary measure that should be used as a last resort. She respectfully continues to urge Congress to act promptly to protect the full faith and credit of the United States. But Delaney, that goes right into a press release from today coming from J.P. Morgan Chase's CVO, Jamie Dimon. He's not obviously one to shy away from bold statements. He has talked about cryptocurrencies very openly, and he's also talked about the economic forecast as it comes about. So his press release this morning says that Coming from his prediction here, the U.S. financial world is headed to some dire straits if the Federal Reserve continues to hike their rates. He expects them to go above 5%, which for our listeners means we're looking at another either quarter or half in this February meeting or looking at back-to-back quarter hikes to get to that level, but warns the Federal Reserve that if they get to 6%, they will most ultimately see a recession. So those two headlines coming together, Delaney, aren't good. And of course, he's pointing at China and is looking at how their economy their economy is moving forward. But you've reported on that this week, so we don't need to add any more flavor to that story. Other than just, Tanner, they're going into their Chinese Lunar New Year. So that actually should help spark some positive economic growth for China. That's correct. Well, I do also have a quick headline update here on inflation. We saw CoBank's quarterly release here as they're looking ahead to 2023 and said that inflation is beginning to loosen its grip is their headline, Tanner. They said the U.S. economy will progressively slow through the first half of 2023 and fears of a recession are still high and still warranted, but they're saying inflation and interest rate increases intended to Combat those rising interest, or excuse me, rising inflation is doing its job. They said, however, with unemployment at a 53 year low and inflation trending lower, forecasts are turning at least a little less gloomy. But all in all, we're going to try to see, of course, the labor market uh, and unemployment rates go back up because that should also help slow economic spending and inflation. Uh, But all in all, they're painting a more rosy picture for 2023 than we'd previously seen, Tanner. 
Well, that's good. That is a positive headline. That's that's more of a fun Friday headline than what I had brought to the forefront. The next one I have here might dull things down just a little bit. Here in Iowa legislature, a bill was introduced earlier this month with the new seated officials that the country's top red meat producing state would ban people on the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, also known as SNAP from being able to buy meat at the grocery level. The bill came from the House File 3, had 39 co-sponsors out of the Iowa House, and was looking to compare and marry the SNAP rules to that of the Women, Infants, and Children program, the WIC program. WIC requires their aid recipients to buy from a specific list of approved items, including staples such as infant formula, cereal, milk, bread, juices, canned foods, and baby foods. WIC does not allow people to buy products such as packaged meat or frozen or processed foods. So it's one of those, Delaney, that might come as a surprise. The A lot of members of the Iowa House are stating here, uh, one quoted chairman, Luke Elzinga, said, I don't think the 39 co-sponsors realize that this bill is as restrictive as it is and would officially ban meat, especially being part of one of the nation's leading beef, chicken, and pork producing states under this bill would go against our tradition. Delaney, according to the USDA's Livestock Slaughter Report released on Thursday, Iowa is the number one state for commercial red meat production in December, largely obviously due to pork, but still nonetheless would make this bill a landmark development. I would expect there to be some moderations made to this. The last time these food programs were adjusted in the state of Iowa was back in 2008. So it would be quite interesting here to see if anything moves forward, but it certainly grabbed a headline today. Well, Tanner, another thing that's grabbing the headlines for the cattle industry is this new EID tag proposal put forward by APHIS. Uh, This was proposed actually yesterday on Thursday, which would be a new rule that would require both visual and readable electronic ear tags for interstate movement of both cattle and bison. The new proposed rule will be published in the federal registrar as of yesterday and has some nuances defining the livestock that fall under the rule. Those specifically include all sexually intact cattle and bison of 18 months of age and older, all female dairy cattle of any age, and all male dairy cattle born after March 11th of 2013, cattle and bison used of any age for rodeo and recreational activities, and cattle and bison of any age used for shows or exhibitions. So specifically talking show cattle here. But this new ear tag proposal here, Tanner, couple of uh, analysis research pieces were done here, cost-benefit analysis, I should say, from the USDA estimated it would cost about $26 million per year to purchase the roughly 11 million EID ear tags needed for those specific classifications of producers who do not currently use EID ear tags on their cattle or bison. The main goal of this proposed change here, Tanner, really is to help measure and track disease. That's it. They said that is their APHIS's main goal is to be able to track and trace that disease traceability and require those ear tags, both again, visually and electronically readable. But the timeline for this, Tanner, is fairly aggressive. Folks have until March 20th 
to comment on the proposed rule. But then following six months after the final rule is published in the federal registrar, it'd be game on for getting that put in place. Uh, Don't know yet for the new proposed rule, who's going to have to pay for those 11 million EID ear tags needed? I would assume it would be a cost passed on to producers, but perhaps there will be some sort of program put forward by APHIS or USDA to help producers with the cost of those ear tags, but that's still a little bit unclear as of right now, Tanner. Yeah, I had seen that as well, and it was definitely not spelled out. Some of the costs, though, for water runoff and water pollution is now being passed to some poultry companies. Food companies have now been ordered to cut their pollution into the Illinois River watershed. Food companies such as Tyson's Food and Cargill will now be required to further reduce their poultry litter pollution into the Illinois River as part of northwest Arkansas and northeastern Oklahoma. A federal court decided today ruling on an 18-year-old lawsuit that has alleged these companies were causing the degrading water quality in that watershed. So this case has been tried for quite some time. The state's injuries from phosphorus concentration in the rivers and streams have been tied to these organizations applying their poultry litter in areas that are not deemed acceptable. So poultry waste generated obviously from these poultry farms are typically applied to the fields in an above ground establishment without incorporation. These companies will now have to incorporate and monitor those levels in a much higher level. So they were comparing the 1980s data compared to where they're at today, and it states these companies are already making significant progress. The state of Oklahoma had sued Tyson's Foods, which included their poultry and chicken division, Cobb Vantress Incorporated, Calmaine Foods, Cargill, which included their turkey and uh, chicken divisions, George's Farms and Peterson's Farms as well. So a spokesperson from Tyson said that the company continues to review this decision and their practices and will continue to move forward. I have a feeling if this was an 18-year-old lawsuit that finally received a ruling, Delaney, that a lot of the measurements in which that need to be addressed have probably already been taken and put new practices into place. Well, Tanner, switching tracks here just a little bit, uh, appears that two years of drought have severely depleted U.S. hay stocks. Recently released December 1st hay stocks report from the USDA showed total stocks of 71.9 million tons, and that is 16.5% below the previous 10-year average and also the lowest December 1st stocks record on report dating back to 1973. Each of our top 10 hay-producing states were down compared to their 10-year average and collectively pushed us quite a bit lower. Top 10 states are, of course, Texas, Missouri, South Dakota, Kansas, North Dakota, Montana, Kentucky, Nebraska, Oklahoma, and Tennessee, Tanner. And that is going to paint a tight picture for hay needs and forage needs here heading into 2023. Yeah, well, that's something that we've heard a lot of producers already talk about. And even a couple of conversations that we've had in interviews on a podcast. So I just got two quick little hits to wrap up my news. The Prime Minister of New Zealand has resigned in a surprise announcement, stated that she ran out of gas in her passing passion to run the country. So a lot of details coming out around that as well. So that every day you are faced with different experiences on the job. We are in an environment that is moving very quickly and requires intense focus 
as New Zealanders would expect more from their prime minister. I no longer have the desire to fill this role. So that's uh, just ahead of their election process. And just to touch again on the ethanol that you reported yesterday, output for that week ending January 13th was the highest in over a month with just over a million barrels in that seven days. Of course, that was up from the 943,000 barrels the week before, and the stockpiles did continue to go down, which shows some demand there down from 23.8 to a 23.4 million barrels in the inventory. But that's what I've got for today, Delaney. How are you coming on headlines? I think I have just one final quick update here, and that is on the fertilizer front. Uh, Josh Linville of Stonex sends out oh, periodically here just an update on fertilizer prices around the world and had some good headlines I wanted to share here from that newsletter that came out yesterday afternoon. So specifically, Tanner here looking at Of course, nat gas, European nat gas values have continued to fall. And he said that a combination of factors have dropped that value to a sub $20 current market. We've seen higher than normal stockpiles, heavy imports from around the world and warmer than normal winters helping the nat gas market in Europe really start to come down. On the U.S. side here domestically, we've seen NALA and global urea values continue to struggle to hold value. And here's an interesting thing. He said he expected to see major buying regions step up by now, such as Brazil, India, the U.S., Canada, Europe etc. Stepping up to buy and source their fertilizer needs. However, falling prices, he says, have buyers actually waiting as long as possible before sourcing those needs. The longer they wait, the lower prices go. And so that's obviously helping there with controlling some of that uh, price inflation that we've seen for so long. He also said he continues to expect to see India announcing a tender in the next two weeks that could and should kick off global demand. But in the meantime, everyone is kind of waiting to watch and see what their neighbors are doing on the fertilizer front, Tanner. So just a quick update there on that. But I think other than markets, I am out of news for today. Well, that's something that we can take a look at is where markets are sitting here midday. So let's get right to it. Absolutely. And here at the midday, we are seeing mostly weakness across the grain complex aside from wheat today. March corn down about three quarters of a cent here at the midday at 676 and a half. New crop corn's actually unchanged on the day at 596 and a quarter. March soybeans down eight and a quarter cent at 1506. November beans down 11 here at the midday at 1353. And as I mentioned, wheat Really, the only market pushing higher today is the hard red winter wheat market is up 12 cents on the day at 844. At the midday, as we turn our attention over to the livestock, we're seeing lots of green across the screen today. February live cattle up 45 cents at a buck 5640. March feeder cattle are up 90 cents on the day at a dollar 81 and February lean hogs adding a dollar 50 here at the midday at 7815. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to a conversation with Mike Anderson from the Iowa Forestry Council. With the new year on a roll, many organizations are in the works of naming new directors. Today, we have Mike Anderson joining us as he was just named the new executive director of the Iowa Beef Checkoff Organization. 
Mike, could you touch a little bit on what led you to wanting to apply for the position of executive director of Iowa Beef Checkoff and maybe some of your experience before? Sure. And uh, thanks, Jennifer. Appreciate the opportunity to, to tell you a little bit more about myself. Um, so I grew up here in Iowa, um, up in north central Iowa uh, on a grain and livestock production farm. We raised cattle and pigs growing up and, and my brother still farms today and has a 100 head uh, cow-calf seed stock operation that I'm still involved with. Um, had both my undergraduate and master's degrees in animal science from Iowa State University. And then a lot of my research uh, that I did for that was with beef cattle ultrasound with carcass EPDs. So I helped the North American Limousine Foundation develop those when I was in graduate school. And then did a couple of years with Purdue Extension out in Indiana and then came back to Iowa uh, with Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. And so for the last uh, 17 years, I've been with the 4-H Youth Program, dealing with the state livestock events and programs and curriculum, and so helping develop those things. And then in the last few years, um, took on more of an administrative role with managing staff uh, in our office and things like that with our Ag and Natural Resources Program. And so I've always had a passion you know, for the beef industry my whole life. And so when this opportunity came up, I thought it was the perfect fit and, and great time and opportunity to do that. And I think the skills and background that I bring to the position will help and looking forward to working with our board of directors and got a great staff here in the office that I'm getting to know and working with. So really looking forward to doing our part as far as a consumer reach aspect and, and promoting beef consumption. So for the listeners that aren't familiar with the Iowa Beef Industry Council, and or the checkoff give a little bit of background as to what that organization is yeah so like i said um i just started here in early january 2023 so still still learn quite a bit about it as myself as well but um the the overall aspect um we also work with the iowa cattlemen's association um, that's housed in the same building that we are here in ames and so they work more on with producers and policy aspects and then the iowa beef industry council focuses more on the consumer and so our job is to get out there and, and promote beef consumption to consumers um, also educating those cattle producers on where that checkoff money goes so for every head of cattle that's sold um, in Iowa, there's a dollar fifty that's taken off and those funds go towards the Iowa Beef Industry Council. And then we take those funds and work with National Cattlemen's Beef Association and, and Cattlemen's Beef Board and some of those national entities on marketing strategies and that sort of thing. And so really work hand in hand with some of those national folks and also with the Iowa Cattlemen's um, do programming together. Um, but we focus more on the consumer side um, like I said, getting those consumers to eat more beef. Yeah, and everything you just listed off is extremely important within your position and the role of the Iowa beef industry to be able to help develop everything for the consumers and producers as well. With all that being said, what are you most looking forward to doing? I think a couple things, you know, a lot of our, our cattle producers are, you know, keeping them in the loop as far as where the dollars go, how the dollars are spent. Um, you know, that's who we are reporting to is, is those cattle producers on how we spend those funds. So it's really a key thing to uh, keep them informed. Like I said, where the dollars are going, communicate with the, you know, livestock auction markets and sale barns and, they collect the, that money as well and, and communicating with them on how the money is spent. Um, I think there's a great opportunity for 
some more youth programming we could do and teaching young people, you know, where their food comes from and the health advantages of eating beef. Um, We're focusing, doing some projects with the athletic folks here in Iowa um, and some universities on the advantage of, of protein um, and eating beef for, you know, sports recovery when they're playing sports. And so I think there's some opportunities as well. Um, You know, today, a lot of people are further removed from, ag and livestock production and farming and that sort of thing. And so our job is to, to educate all those folks on where their food comes from. And, and here in the U.S., we have the, the safest, most wholesome food product that, that you can have in the entire world. So just getting that word out. Yeah, it sounds like a big task. As like you said, the information gap expands. What are some key practices that you've picked up on here that will be featured to deliver this message during 2023? Well, I think we're taking a look at some of our marketing strategies. You know, we've got a, a, a broad range, you know, in today's society with social media and that sort of thing. And you've got different generations that, you know, get their information and news from either, um, you know, online or, or magazines and some of that stuff. And then you've got, you know, some younger generations that are on more of a social media platform and just trying to create that balance of our target audience and who we're targeting. Um, so for targeting, you know, the, the parents and and moms and dads that'll have a different marketing approach than if we're trying to target, you know, uh, younger youth or or college kids or, you know, 20, 30 year old age range um, might have a different look as far as marketing goes. So we're trying to uh, take a look at that of how we reach each of those audiences in a more effective way. Yeah. And being a parent yourself, I'm sure you recognize, well, clearly you recognize as you are taking in a major role in the beef industry, how important it is for the youth to understand the importance of everything beef or excuse me, everything beef. So how would you say the best way to go about educating the youth is more on the younger side of the spectrum than the older side? As they develop, it's harder to reach them with parent influence compared to in the in the school district influence. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Yep. And, you know, more and more, even our kids that are involved um, in livestock showing and livestock projects through 4-H and FFA. Um, a lot of times, you know, their parents didn't grow up on a farm or livestock production. Their son or daughter, you know, decided they wanted to show cattle or show sheep or show pigs and that sort of thing. And so, you know, parents really don't have a lot of knowledge um, as far as nutrition and that sort of thing. And so one of the things that, that we think is, is beneficial is getting into the schools. And we work with the Iowa Farm Bureau and Iowa Ag Literacy Foundation to provide a lot of that curriculum and classroom education for kids. And so whether that be farm chats or farm tours and, and cooking demonstrations for our high school um, family consumer science students, a lot of those things we're trying to key in on as well, that we could take a more educational approach uh, from the beef council side, knowing that a lot of parents, you know, may not have that background education. So it's, we're educating youth and adults at the same time. So that's a good deal. Probably one of the perks of your new position is helping the process of finding Iowa's best burger in the contest. Have you been able to experience the ones nominated and the winners for 2022? Um, Not yet. So yeah, Um, our marketing person, uh, Kylie Peterson here in our office is in charge of that. And that I believe will launch um, coming up here in a few weeks in February for the upcoming 2023 year. So 
just familiar with that, you know, from the outside, but now I'll get to, to see the inside and, and how that works um, with that whole marketing campaign. So it's one of our highlights for the year. And Kylie does a tremendous job um, getting all that coordinated and taken care of and promoted out to the state of Iowa. So we're excited to, to launch that once again for this year. Well, Mike, it sounds like you have many amazing things to look forward to within your position as you get further into the role. If listeners want to learn more about the Iowa Beef Industry Council or talk more about beef with you, how can they do that? Yeah, well, probably the easiest would be to you know to go to our website or just Google Iowa Beef Industry Council, but our website is www.iabeef.org, O-R-G, and that's got a, a tremendous amount of information, um, recipes, you can learn all about the beef checkoff and, and what it does and its purpose and that sort of thing. So our website is full of that stuff. We're also on Facebook and Instagram and all those social media platforms. So encourage you um, to check those out uh, depending on your um, electronic device and that sort of thing preferences. Awesome. Well, thanks again for hanging out with us today on the Ag News Daily Podcast and giving us a couple moments of your time. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. good to see new leaders come in with some enthusiasm for their organization and ready to take on the challenges that the new year will bring. Absolutely, Tanner. And listeners, we appreciate you sharing all kinds of ideas with us for who we should be having these conversations with. Remember, we'll be back next week with our first Market Monday in two weeks. So looking forward to that conversation, Delaney. But over the weekend, let's have them follow us on social media. But for today, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.